Now, every morning we deliver what's new around the world, of course, current affairs, stories that make headlines, and they're often horrendous or violent. We tend to think that people who harm or hurt others are maniacs. They may have mental problems. They may have some sort of irrationality in their life, but they could be just as regular as anyone else, according to Alan Fisk, today's This Morning's Person, uh, who's going to help us find a common thread here. Uh, let's bring him in, a uh, psychological anthropologist out of the University of California, Los Angeles, the author of Virtuous Violence, Hurting and Killing to Create, Sustain, End and Honor Social Relationships. Professor Fisk, thank you very much for speaking with us. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you, Alex. To, it's really great to have you. So, um, in the book, you conclude that violence is morally motivated. It, it doesn't exactly fit the whole cold-blooded crime. What, what exactly do you mean? Well, it dep- if you define violence as intentionally causing someone else to suffer, intentionally causing harm or death, um, what you find is that m- most of the time uh, when somebody does that, when somebody intentionally hurts or kills somebody, um, they're actually motivated Uh, by their moral uh, system. They're, they're, they feel that they have to do it, that it's right to do it, they ought to do it, they should do it. Um, and they're not uh, crazy in that sense, in the sense that their, their peer group, their reference group, their family, in their subculture uh, generally agrees that what they did is the right thing. Sometimes we define violence, you know, when we use the word every day, Sometimes we define violence by, by saying that it's harm that is wrong. And, of course, if you define it that way, then it couldn't be virtuous. But if you just look at uh, any kind of harm that people do to each other intentionally, harm and death that they cause, um, most of it is actually um, really truly motivated, not just excused or justified after the fact, but motivated at the moment that the person does it. They, they feel that they have to do it, and they should do it. It almost reminds me, though, of the, just the explanation for North Korea's regime. Um, sometimes Kim Jong-un is portrayed as a crazy maniac, but the reality is in the North Korean context, um, his actions make sense as a, as a sort of tactic towards self-preservation, I feel. Do you, do you think, though, that there are cases which are just pure madness that, that make their way into the public sphere? Well, I think there are two cases uh, here that are relevant for in terms of madness. Um, one is that a person may have crazy ideas about what's right to do. Um, so a person can be a paranoid schizophrenic and believe that other people are trying to harm them, believe that other people are trying to harm the government or harm their friends, and then they may do harm to somebody that they that they believe is trying to, you know, already has done them harm. And what's crazy there is their belief, but the action is is morally motivated in the same way that a sane person's action would be. It's just that the crazy person has a crazy idea of what the world is like. The other case is that people who are very high on what's called uh, sociopathy or psychopathy, people, there are people who... Um, really don't care about it, anything moral. They have no moral compunctions, no concern or love for anybody else. And those people do use violence instrumentally sometimes. So we say that most violence is morally motivated, but not all of it. What, what does that help us with, though, in terms of understanding these acts? If you are the victim or a loved one is a victim of a, an awful crime, or if we're witnessing the pain 
of an entire nation as we are at the moment in several places around the world. Yeah. If we want to reduce violence, we have to understand what causes it. Um, and if we, if we assume that violence is the result of craziness, um, if we assume that violence is the result of failure to be moral, then we'll never be able to reduce it. What about the the view that you put forward? Uh, unlike the theories of the dehumanization of, of say, the uh, mm-hmm. the view expressed by the now famous Korean writer Han Gung um, in the New York Times that in all wars and massacres, people perceive enemies as subhuman. So, so you're arguing that perpetrators they are viewing their victims as very much human like themselves. They're not having to justify it in some twisted way. No, I think, in fact, uh, people doing violence, mostly, um, most of the violence that people do, they perceive the person suffering or the person they're killing as a human being, and if they weren't human, there would be no point in killing them. There's no point in killing a rock, right? There's no point in killing a tree, Um you're, the people who are k- killing others are killing others because they feel that the other person is uh, somebody who deserves to suffer or die. I mean, in, in a war zone, of course, though, it, c- it could be under orders. And if you feel pain yeah, on true. doing the killing, you might have to um, yeah. find a justification. Well, it's difficult for people to hurt other people. I'm not where, you know, it's, it's to kill somebody face to face or to hurt them for most people is an extremely traumatic thing to do and can cause, uh, you know, uh, stress disorders uh, that that last for many, many years or even a lifetime. It's not easy to kill other people. So when people do so, and it's their their moral motives overcome those difficulties. Now, if you're a soldier, you're morally obliged to obey orders. So the morality of your act, uh, from the point of view of the perpetrator, is that they have to obey their orders. And um, what motivates it is not trying to regulate a relationship with the, with the enemy soldier, necessarily. Um, it's simply that it's morally appropriate to, uh, to do your duty to your country, to your officers, to your fellow man. And in mm-hmm. fact, most soldiers, their motivation for shooting and so forth uh, in combat is really to protect their fellow soldiers. It's not so much to, to you know, get back at or retaliate against the enemy, it's to have the back of the of the buddies in the platoon or on the ship or whatever. So, in that sense, do we shift the cause, the actual root cause of the violence, higher up the the command chain, all the way perhaps to the leadership? Well, it turns out that even the leadership in most wars, not all of them, but in most wars, the leadership is uh, you know believes that it's morally justified and morally necessary to make a war. It's not that they justify it after deciding to do it for other reasons. They feel that they have to do it to defend their country, to protect the, their citizens, or to maintain the status and standing and respect of other countries. So uh, actually quite a lot of modern wars, modern in the sense of over the last three or 400 years, have been fought over the sort of dignity of the nation and uh, to, to gain respect that has been denied it. And I think, you know, that may be part of what's going on in the Korean Peninsula, that that the North Korean leaders um, have felt uh, quite reasonably uh, disrespected. I mean, in the sense that they are disrespected. And uh, they're trying to uh, regain a position of, of uh, you know, of dignity and, and in which other people look up to them. And uh, so they are, you know, been willing to threaten, at least, uh, to do violence to get that 
to, to retain the status that they feel that they are entitled to. Of course, um, and just as an aside here, one of the problems with North Korea is that, uh, that the approach at the moment is to sanction that regime until they That's back right. down. Um, if North Korea decides not to back down, though, and becomes the, uh, the wounded animal, perhaps could become even more dangerous. And this is where perhaps having a psychological level of expertise is vital in handling global diplomatic issues. You're saying your research, though, also applies in the household, like domestic violence. Yes, that's true, in the sense that uh, uh, whether perpetrated by men or women, um, uh, most violence uh, between partners or toward uh, children uh, is done uh, in, in the attempt to redress or, or rectify a social relationship that the perpetrator feels has been violated. Um, so the perpetrator feels that he or she has been disrespected or uh, that some transgression has occurred against him or her, and uh, in order to uh, to rectify that, to make it right, they have to hurt somebody. Now, of course, it used to be true all around the world um, until quite recent times that when children disrespected their parents or disobeyed their parents or failed to carry out a duty, uh, they were they were whipped or beaten. And, and the children and the parents all understood that even though that was awful and terrible and very difficult for the parent to do often, that that was the way to bring up a God-fearing child. And if you didn't do that, the parent didn't do that, or for that matter, if the schoolmaster didn't do that, they had failed in their duty. But to avoid violence, is is saying sorry or some other gesture a, a way of um, making things right, as it were, without provoking the violent yes. response? Well, so the answer to reducing violence is to recognize what causes it and then see how can people regulate their relationships in other ways. So most of the time, 99.9% of the time, you know, people regulate uh, their relationships without using violence. And the question is, in that small residual but awful case where people use violence to regulate their relationships, you know, what could be done instead? So how can how can relationships be made right in the idea of a potential perpetrator without using violence? Mm. Now, I have to emphasize that what I'm talking about is the motives and mind of the perpetrator. When somebody uses violence, the perpetrator is, is almost always believes that they have to do it and they should do it. That doesn't mean that you or I or the judge or the public or anybody else has to agree that that was the right thing to do. Uh, so explaining it is not the same as as approving of it. Yeah, I, was... I myself am a pacifist, so I'd, I'm against all violence. But I think to understand why people are doing violence is is not the uh, is not the same thing as to approve of people doing it. Yeah, it's not to say that a a woman or a child who's the victim of regular domestic violence should simply uh, say, "Oh, okay, then um, I've got to say sorry every time or try to find a way of avoiding the violence no. that way." Uh, we Not are, at all, no. Yeah, indeed. I'm just making that point absolutely clear, but it is a fascinating area of research and perhaps could help us in more ways than we can imagine. Professor Alan Fisk with the book Virtuous Violence, Hurting and Killing to Create, Sustain, End and Honor Social Relationships has brought forward an area of research that many people, I'm sure, would find fascinating. Thank you very much for being this morning's person. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to uh, talk to you.